Good morning, friends. Welcome to New Church Online. Thanks for joining us today. Had an email pop up in my inbox this week, and it was a news headline. It said, to ease coronavirus concerns, California to release 8,000 inmates. And I'm like, when did I subscribe to The Onion? And I'm not going to take any time today to discuss headlines because I'd rather talk about something far worse, the seventh grade. Middle school was not kind to me, uh, and for better or for worse, I can remember most of it. One of those moments was the first day back from winter break, from Christmas break. And I board the bus in our little hometown where I grew up, and I sit down next to my friend and start going through the obligations of talking about what we got for Christmas. Now, my friend I was an only child. Both parents worked. They did very well. At Christmas, his house looked like Macy's Santa Land. Uh, there were presents wrapped all over the house. I was one of five kids. My dad worked two jobs while my mom fought for control and her sanity around the house. And we usually have enough presents for one each. I'm not complaining. Wouldn't trade it. It just was. So back to the bus. Friend begins to list his presents. It's extensive. It's everything. I don't even think he was done opening all his presents yet. My list was much shorter, uh, so naturally I lie about it. I meander through a couple vagities, and then I added, well, you know, I mostly got a bunch of new clothes, because clothes felt like a safe thing to lie about. No one comes over expecting to see your clothes or to play with your clothes, especially that time of life. Now, fast forward a few weeks, walk onto the bus, sit down next to the friend. Hey, you said you got a bunch of new clothes for Christmas. How come you haven't been wearing them? Wow, shoot. Time to come clean here. Oh, they're more like summer clothes? <laughs> I was so insecure, and this is my confession. I'm sorry. Also that I'm still insecure. But this letter we're looking at today is a challenge to get real, to get honest. It's about making a decision to be broken and honest versus perfect and lying. Because some of us need to get real with where we're at. You gotta get real, you gotta get honest. Because we've been lying about our life, our personality, or our faith. You say you have faith, but there's really nothing to show for it. And James is writing to the church, primarily of Jewish background, who, who had recently been liberated from the yoke of the law, so tons of laws, tons of religiosity. They now have freedom in Jesus. He said, hey, you don't have to work your way into heaven. But in that freedom, James is checking in and saying, faith still involves activity on your part. He's like, I want to make sure you understand what that means. Goes on to say in verse 14 of chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now what we are not saying here, what James is not saying, is that salvation, your relationship with God, has anything to do with your works. That would eliminate the power of the cross. It is grace alone, absolutely by grace alone. But, but that true faith produces real fruit. A true faith, a real faith produces real fruit. 
Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Galatians 6.9 Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Works are not in addition to faith. They do not get added on to the end of our faith. But works are an expression of it. Your works are an expression of your faith. Faith is what you do about what you believe. Faith is what you do about what you believe. True faith produces real fruit. We have a history of buying plumeria plants. And I think they come from the fair. I'm not really sure. Uh, We have a soft spot for them and for Hawaii. And they're beautiful flowers when they're actually flowers. And time and time again, we, we get these plants, we set them up, and we watch them take up space, just looking like sticks coming out of the ground. You know the ones? They're just like these kind of long sticks, and like maybe there's a bud, but it's just a stick. But where are the flowers? I thought we'd be making lays during quarantine. And I found some reasons over time to, to care for these plants and try to get some flowers out of them. And there are some reasons why they don't bloom and why you might not be either. First thing when it comes to these plants uh, to look out for if you're not getting a flower, you're not producing fruit, is if this plant's not getting fed. If it's not getting fed. And you and I, we need to get fed. We need spiritual food. Part of church is that, coming on this uh, online and hopefully listening to something from the Word, maybe that God will reveal something. Books are part of that. The Bible is part of that. Podcasts, uh, sermons, worship songs. Feeding yourself, putting stuff into your soul that is nourishing. And if you put good things into your heart, good things are going to come out. If you put good things into your heart, good things are going to come out. We need to feed ourselves. We need to get fed. Another challenge for these plants, if they're not producing, if they're not blooming, is not enough light. Not enough light. And some of us are lurking in the shadows. And we kind of prefer it out there, but you need the light. Or we have parts of our life that are hidden that we keep tucked away. Things that are hidden in the dark will slowly drain the life out of you. You may be able to get away with it for a little while, but it will drain the life out of you. Your spiritual vibrancy will begin to wilt. It will begin to wilt away. Another challenge for these plants is pests. Little bugs that come in, things that take and don't contribute, things that do harm to the plant. And I hate to call any human being a pest, But you know they're out there. People that bring out the worst in you. People that when you're with, it's about gossip and it's slander and it's indulgence. And I love everybody. But there are some people out there that are bad for your health. And you may just need to create some space from those people, at least for a time. Another thing that throws these plants off, keeps them from blooming, is stress. Stress, environments changing, lack of consistency or rhythm, they stress out a plant. And the more stress, the less they bloom. Some of us live in stress. It's our default mood. How are you feeling? Mm, stressful. You're not seeing fruit in your life because you're cultivating stress and anxiety. There's no blooming, there's no fruit because you're just cultivating and growing stress. And we look at these kind of steps for a plan and say, well, you know, can I just pray? Can I just pray? Pray that this stuff works or it gets better? Well, you can try that. I pray for my plants all the time. And caring for them actually tends to work better. Prayers are a lifeline. Our guide, our, our relationship to God. So we talk to God. 
But prayer is not a substitute for action. Prayer is not a substitute for action. In James' example, someone who is poor and needs clothing and food, say, I'll pray for you. That is not a substitute for actually giving that person clothing and food. Prayer is not a substitute for action. What you believe determines how you behave. People ask me all the time, what do you think of all this? You know, how are you doing with, with all this? And honestly, I'm not that concerned. I, I really am not, which infuriates my wife. Haven't you read this? Or haven't you seen this? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. This season should be making our faith stronger. Because when we face trials of many kinds, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Let it work on you. I am being worked on in this time. My trust, leadership, insecurities, fear. Just letting this season do its work. And if your faith is in the world, in its leaders and doctors and journalists, you are going to get blown all over the place. You are going to get blown all over the place. And it will, be, it will nearly be impossible for you to live at peace. And you're probably not going to be a very good human being either. So my life, as much as I try to keep it governed by faith. Galatians 5, 6 explains faith this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Uh, he's talking about this religious acts or activity. It's not a checklist of tasks you have to do. But, Paul says, as he continues, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Now, my faith can get knocked off course in moments, absolutely. I, I can get down. I've talked about that. But ultimately, it's headed in the right direction. And I know it's off course when I'm not being loving. Because faith expresses itself through love. And I know things can get uncomfortable and worrisome and just bizarre out there right now. But your faith is stronger than that. Your faith is stronger than that. I want you to believe that. Because he that is in you is greater than that which is in the world. Your faith right now may be getting a workout. Your ability to express love may be taking a little extra effort. But the result of this season should not be a weaker faith, but of greater love. Cling to the stability of God, to the Alpha and Omega, to I Am, who is, was, and is to come. Timothy 1.19 says this, Cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Their faith has been shipwrecked. Losing hold of your faith, a faith that expresses itself through love, leaves you vulnerable to being shipwrecked. And a shipwrecked faith cannot produce fruit. It cannot produce good works. What are the dangers to shipwrecking your faith? What are the dangers? You know them, and, and maybe you should write them down or take a moment later today to think about it. But areas of your life where you feel love leaving your body, I mean, it could be a person, could be an idea, a political view, could be your job. Beware of such things. Allow God to help you navigate through the rocks and reefs and storms. And your faith will be producing fruit just by the way you live. James goes on. He gives us a couple Old Testament examples. 
He says this, You foolish person! Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Goes on to say in the same way in verse 25, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So it goes back to Abraham, Father Abraham. He has this moment in time where, where God calls him, and this is kind of a, a funny story, it's a challenging story, to, to bring his son to the altar as a sacrifice. And at the time, that was a relatively common practice for a god to require uh, child sacrifice. There, there were religions doing that. And so Abraham hears this, and he's like, Wow, okay, I have to bring my son. I have to bring my son. And he brings his son to this altar. And ultimately, God delivers him from that situation. But for Abraham, his faith was this. And Hebrews 11 talks about this. God had told him, you're going to have nations through this son. And so I thought, well, God's going to do that. My son can't die. So Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. He said, all right, well, I'll go through this act because I believe God, even though it seems like there's no way out, God can provide a way out. Because this God, this God, he does not take, this God provides. This God provides. And Abraham clung to that. That was his faith. But God's asking me to do something that I don't see how it's going to work out. And it seems challenging. And it's really hard. But... My faith tells me God will make a way. God will make a way. Rahab, this, this prostitute, she's living in a pagan city. She's a Gentile. These spies come in from, from Israel, God's, God's people at that time. And they're going through the city and, and word gets out that they're there spying on the city to take it over. And the king's like, we got to find these guys. And Rahab's, Rahab's giving them shelter. She's giving them shelter and she helps them escape. And all she says is, since I have heard, I have heard of your God. I have heard of your God. I don't know him, but I've heard of him. And she's putting her faith in this God that she's only heard of. I've heard of the things he can do. I've heard of this, this, this God of, of heaven and earth. And she puts her faith in action at great risk to herself. And God delivered her because this God provides. This God provides a way. When we set our faith in action, God is not leaving us out there to dry. He will get involved. He will jump in. He will make a way. See, grace that saves your soul, because we love that. We love amazing grace. That grace that saves your soul should change your life. It should change your life. If it's that real grace that you have felt, it will change your life. And you don't have to be educated. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be available. You have to be educated. You just need to be available. A couple of months ago, when things were really like on lockdown, and a few months ago, and people aren't leaving their house at all, I'm out for a little walk. Uh, rules are more guidelines for me. And I'm out on a walk, and, and I see these people, and it looked like a retirement-aged couple, and, and they're, they're picking up trash just in front of people's houses and on the sidewalk, little bits of debris. They have their bags. And I'm walking by. We're all masked up. And I, I look at them. I just say, thank you. I thank you. And they simply said, it's what we can do. It's what we can do. 
It's what we can do. And they went on, they continued to pick up trash. It's what they can do. Because God takes availability over ability every time. God will take your availability over your ability every time. What can you do right now? If you imagine God is close to you, which he is, but if you can imagine God is close to you, in and out of every situation, it will change your life. It will change the way you see life. It will change the way you see your faith. And it will change the way you practice your faith. God is near. God is with. God is present. God is by my side. In and out of every season and circumstance and situation. This past week, I had to go to the DMV. Like, into the DMV. And they're not taking appointments, so you just have to show up and go for it. And uh, DMV is long anyway. It's exceptionally long now. I'm around the building. And I was prepared for that. I was prepared for a long line and a long wait, and I was just mentally ready. And so I've got some podcasts queued up. I've got the Hamilton soundtrack ready to go. I get in line. I got my earbuds. I'm ready to close my eyes and just disappear and sense when I'm supposed to move forward. But before I got too far into my, into my Zen moment, the gentleman in front of me says, hot out here, isn't it? I'm like, oh, here we go. This guy seems like a talker. I smile and nod. I don't really want to give out any more than that. And I don't take out my earbuds. And he says, you know what gets really hot? You know where it gets really hot? I'm like, no, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. I learned so much about Bakersfield that day. So much about Bakersfield. I, I learned about where to get the best grapes in McFarlane. Uh, I, I learned about the Bakersfield High School quarterback and how he throws the ball with, with motions twice. Like... <laughs> I'm like, okay. I mean, he did that twice. I learned about how the water tastes in Bakersfield. I learned about what it's like at the bus station. I learned about how whiskey fights COVID. I learned about how this guy used to ride a horse through Taft with a case of beer in his saddlebags. I mean, hours of stories from his floor sticker to mine. And I just went with it. And we started getting through. And it kind of broke up a little bit. And a woman ahead of... Uh, out of me, says to me, that was nice of you. That was nice of you. And what, what I should have said was, well, it's what I can do. It's what I can do in the moment to be present and loving. But I was just far too irritated and I didn't really want to talk to anybody. But here's the thing. If my faith tells me and informs me and I believe that I am loved by God and cared for by God and put up with by God, even though I'm annoying and reckless and talk too much and full of it sometimes... Isn't that the least I can do for others? How, how can I not be present with someone who just wants to talk? To put my earbuds back in and say, hey man, that sounds great. You should really tell somebody else those stories. What we believe determines how we behave. And you don't need to perform. This, this message is not about performance. James is listing out ideas throughout this book. Examples of fruit. But you don't need to perform. The performance already happened. And it wasn't you, it was Jesus. The performance already happened, it was Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to try to be perfect. But choose progress in your faith. This letter is of progression, not perfection. It's about looking at some things. Well, I could probably do that a little differently. If faith expresses itself through love, how does my life look? Am I a doer of the word or just a hearer? How do I respond to people in need, people who are broken? 
this letter says there's so much more to faith than just talking about it, than just studying it. There's so much more to your story than just listening to other people's stories. And this letter inspires us to avoid the most tragic of endings, which would be to have a saved soul, but a wasted life. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning for who you are. Lord, we raise our hands to you right now, God. We receive you and we receive your activity in our lives. Open our eyes to the everyday opportunities for good, for our faith to express itself through love. Lord, I pray for anyone who is just down and out and broken right now, that you would lift their spirits. And if you're down right now, lift your head. Just lift up your head. God will provide, God will deliver, God will make a way for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thanks for hanging out. Don't forget your kids. We'll see you soon. Peace.